Today's episode is brought to you by Omeo. Omeo is a travel booking platform that makes planning a journey in Europe and North America effortless. Just enter your travel details and Omeo will magically give you all the train, bus, flight, and ferry options for your journey. It's never been simpler to book your first real vacation for 2021. Best of all, using Omeo saves you time and money. That's a win-win in our books. Omeo wants to help you leave your house this summer by offering you 5% off your next booking. Just head to omeo.com and use the promo code OMEO5 at checkout. That's O-M-I-O-5 at checkout. This is valid until July 31st for new users on all modes of transport. It's just the pick-me-up that 2021 needs. OMEO, plan, book, and love the journey. Terms and conditions apply. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking Joining me on the line right now is a very special guest. You may know him as the Max Saint or the Saint. He is, of course, a former professional wrestler and a pastor. He is none other than Mr. Chris Whaley. Chris, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, thank you so much. I'm honored that you want me on and uh, just just great. Uh, look forward to some time with you. So what are you up to? What have you been up to? Well, actually, uh, I'm on vacation right now. We have a we have a fifth wheel, and we started Monday. We're in St. Augustine, Florida, and tomorrow we'll be headed to uh, Stone Mountain, Georgia, for five days, and then to North Carolina. We'll be there for five days, and then head back home. So, uh, I've just been chilling like a villain with a gold tooth villain. Nice, love it. Yeah. And what are you up to nowadays? Are you still a pastor? Uh, actually, I am. Uh, I, I was uh, on staff at First Baptist Orlando until last year when uh, COVID hit, and then uh, they got rid of the uh, old people, which I was one of them. Uh, no, they just uh, they had to cut back, and and it's it's good. I was going to uh, retire in August anyway. 
And so it, it was, you know, it, it was not a, a bad thing for me, but, uh, I'm still serving, uh, at First Orlando. I still do things for them. I still teach there, still have the opportunity to speak. And then, uh, it freed me up, um, freed me up for the opportunity to go to a lot of other churches and a lot of other places and invite me. Uh, a lot of the churches, they show the movie, uh, The Mass Saint and then have me speak afterwards. So I get to do that quite a bit, and uh, I just uh, get the opportunity to talk to a lot of great people like yourself, and um, I've just been every week uh, doing interviews with people that want to know about the Mass Saint, so it's all good, brother, all good. Very cool. So the Mass Saint, the movie, that's all pretty awesome. How did that actually like, come about? Because pretty cool, like obviously, you know, you wrote a book and they turn it into a movie, but how does that kind of all happen how does that all go down well yeah i uh i graduated from uh seminary in 1988 uh my last three years in wrestling uh was while i was in seminary in fort worth texas and so i had the opportunity uh while i was in texas to wrestle for uh world championship uh wrestling the the von erics and um also with uh, Wild West Wrestling while I was there. So I graduated and I uh, went to my first church. Uh, I, it really, you know, uh, <laughs> it's an amazing thing. I was 34 years old whenever I retired from wrestling. I started when I was 24 and then right at the height of my career uh, in wrestling is when I had to retire and do what God called me to do, which was to be a pastor. So uh, we went to went back to Florida, and I was a pastor in Central Florida there. And um, yeah, I, I went from professional wrestling to being a pastor. That that is quite a change, you know. Yeah. And uh, I had a young lady that came to the church uh, by herself and with her two children. She would drop her children off at the um, uh, children's program, and then she would come into the sanctuary for the service. She was always the last one in, and she was always the first one to leave. And on one particular Sunday, she came in with sunglasses on, and uh, she was uh, the last person to leave that day. She came out. Uh, I always stood at the front and shook hands with people, and uh, she took my hand with both of her hands, and had her head down and I could see tears coming down her cheeks. And I, I reached over and lifted the sunglasses up and she had two black eyes, which really just infuriated me. Any man that would hit a woman is such a dirtbag. So I, I told her I was going to go see her husband and she, she cried and said, no, I'll hurt you. And I said, I'm not worried about it. Uh, so I went to his house and I called him outside and, I said, you know, I just want to see how you can do against somebody who's able to fight back. And uh, I can't believe, you know, a dirtbag like you would hit the mother of your children. And So anyway, we started back and forth with words. And then finally, uh, I had the uh, the opportunity to relieve a lot of my stress and uh, do some, some uh, fun things with him. <laughs> Uh, but he didn't hit her anymore. I'll just put it that way. Uh, and then I started having other incidents like that that happened, and I handled them more like a wrestler than a pastor. 
And after a while, I just had so many of those things that had taken place. And I told my wife, I said, you know, this make a great book. Uh, so I started writing and uh, I finished it. And when the, the book came out, about a month after it came out, I had a, a TV producer, um, excuse me, a movie producer in Orlando uh, gave me a call and asked me if I would meet with him. And this guy had done some pretty big movies. He he did the, the very first three Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies that were all blockbusters. Uh, he did a movie with Jim Caviezel called uh, Bobby Jones, Stroke of Genius. And uh, then he did a faith-based movie called Letters to God. So he was interested in making The Mass Saint into a movie. Uh, he actually kept me on the hook for about a year and then said he wasn't interested. But during that time, I met a lot of people in the movie business and uh, uh, had other people that were interested. And I had a uh, um, producer from Canada that flew down to Disney World and invited me out there. And I, I met with him. He was you know, very interested in making it into a movie. And I just had one after another that they would say they were interested and they'd turn me down interested and turn me down and i was pretty sick of it so i just i put it up on the shelf i didn't care if i ever heard from any of those guys again and then in february of 2013 i was uh, driving to the gym and i got a call from um, a producer in canada and he says has anybody done anything with your book and i said no and i kind of rolled my eyes when he said that and he said okay so i'm very interested i'm going to get back with you and i said okay yeah thanks and hung up and then two weeks later he called me and he said uh are you sitting down i said yeah as a matter of fact i am he said well we're going to make your book into a movie and i was just i was dumbfounded uh, it was supposed to come out in july but uh, they had uh, issues with the script and they finally finished the script in october and then the movie uh, started filming on the 4th of November in 2013, and they finished it that year. And uh, it came out in theaters in January of 2016. And uh, that that's how it all came about. And it was uh, just a, a very amazing process. The whole thing was an amazing thing. And uh, it's uh, really a big uh, thing that hard to understand or hard to even put in words when something like that happens you know when they take your book and they make it into a movie but it was a pretty awesome thing it's been great yeah that's very very cool and what was like the experience making a movie what was that like <clears throat> oh it was it was awesome i've never been on a movie set in my life and uh and so they i mean they treat you like like a king uh you know fly you to they flew me to Canada, and uh, you know they pick you up there and take you to the hotel. They pick you up and take you to the set of the movies, and um, they just treat you, you know, uh, treat you like royalty. Uh, and then you see uh, Roddy Piper again. I had I wrestled Roddy Piper about 25 years earlier, and then uh, to see him again that was that was a big thrill. And he was a great. You know, great wrestler, but he was also a great actor, and he did a he did a great job. He plays uh, the promoter in the movie, and um, did an awesome job. It had also had uh, 
uh, Diane Carroll in it, and Diane Carroll was one of the uh, first black actresses to have her own TV show, and then she she was uh, nominated for an Academy Award, and uh, she was in the movie and played a very important part of Miss Edna in the movie, and just uh, you know getting to be there every day and seeing it and uh, being there for the the wrestling scenes and all it was just an amazing experience yeah that's pretty cool and obviously with with piper in it that, that's very very cool obviously a tie-in back to wrestling as well which is great yeah yeah and unfortunately he uh he passed away the next year uh at the end of july he didn't even get to see the movie come out so that was very very sad and how did it turn out? Like, was it, was it a financial success? Was it uh, well-received? It was very well-received. Uh, and then after after it was in the theaters, it came out in uh, 2016. In June of 2016, it was on Netflix. And it was on Netflix from 16 until June of 19. So it had a three-year run on Netflix, which was very, very successful and uh, just you know, amazing. It's it's still available on uh, on demand. Yeah, I mean, you can get it on uh, iTunes and a lot of other on demand uh, networks. You can you can get it. Uh, it's on Tubi. You can get it for free on Tubi. Uh, but it's just amazing amazing to me that you know a movie that came out in 2016 is still. Uh, still being seen, you know, I still get calls from people like you and, and, uh, people still watching the movie and still loving it. Uh, I get, I get calls from, uh, other countries, you know, uh, uh Ireland and England. Uh, I did, I did an interview with a guy in Romania who had seen the movie. Oh, wow. And I thought, how in the world did, uh, uh, you know, the movie you get over there, but it's just amazing how, how many people have seen the movie worldwide. For you and doing that and, you know, making the movie and stuff like that, is that always something that you wanted to be a part of? Like that, I know like wrestling fame, the fortune stuff is the movie end of things, something that you ever dreamed of, or is that something like was so out of the realm of possibility? No, you're right. It was out of the realm of possibilities. I never thought of anything like that. Um, my thoughts were that it would make a great, uh, TV series. Uh, each chapter could be made into a, you know, an episode. And I always loved Michael Landon. Uh, Michael Landon, you know, put some good, clean stuff on TV. You know, the whole family could sit down and watch whatever Michael Landon put out. The Little House in the Little Prairie. Little House in the Prairie, yeah. Yeah, Highway to Heaven. And I, I had the, uh, you know, uh, the idea that it could be, you know, something of that nature, uh, family film, family TV, and uh, never in my wildest dreams that I expected you know, to be a full-blown movie, but uh, that's the way God moved, and and uh, it ended up being, you know, a movie instead of a TV series. But and and there's you know there's talk of Mass Saint two, there's talk of uh, a series, so don't you know it's still not through, so they might you know continue to do something else with it. Um, I wrote another book. It just. Uh, it, 
I love Christmas and I, I love those Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> uh, and I wrote a Christmas story and, uh, it was made into a, you know, I published it and, um, lo and behold, it's going to be made into a Hallmark movie too. So I've been, you know, I'm hitting, uh, a thousand so far. I've written two books and they're both going to be made into movies. Wow. Very cool. And that one's in production or that, that's just like the early, early no, stages. It's, just, it's, it's in the early stages right now. Uh, actually got a call from a producer yesterday. Uh, he said that Netflix was also interested in it, but, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. I guess it could be Netflix instead of Hallmark, but, uh, either one, that's just, that's still an amazing thing for to have a second book being made into a movie. Yeah, that would be awesome. Very, very cool. Yeah. With, you know, the Max saying, obviously, a little bit of wrestling, a little bit of real life, a little bit of pastoring. How did you actually get into the wrestling business? You know, um, I was a sickly kid growing up. I mean, in and out of the hospital from the time I was in the second grade. Uh, I was I was in the hospital in second grade and the third grade and the fourth grade. I had uh uh, polio, viral encephalitis. Uh, I was in the hospital for like three months and just, just a sickly kid. After that, you know, back in the hospital, back in the hospital. And, uh, when I was in junior high school, they sent me to a, a place called Watson Clinic and they tested me and found out that I was allergic to just about everything. And they started me on the allergy shots and I started, uh, uh, taking those shots and I took them until I was a senior in college. And, but, uh, after I started taking those shots in junior high school, I started putting on weight and I had a, I had a great godly doctor also. And he, he's the one that got me going to the gym and, uh, you know, got me working out and, and I started putting on weight and started, you know, get a nice shape and, uh, while I was, you know, growing up and in the hospital, so much you get your days and your nights mixed up. And uh, a lot of times late at night, the only thing on was professional wrestling. And I just, I loved it from the time I was a kid. You know, I watched uh, here in Florida, uh, championship wrestling from Florida was one of, it was a big territory. Eddie Graham uh, ran it uh, and, you know, I just saw matches with him and the great Malenko, uh, Joe Scarpa, Johnny Valentine, Red Vestine, just many of the old greats. And uh, I, I just fell in love with it. So when my wife and I graduated from college and I, I was just, I was in the best shape of my life and I was looking for a church um, and I was working for a company in Lakeland, Florida, and looking to find a church to serve in. And I was uh, reading the paper one day, and I, I got to the ads, and I saw this wanted professional wrestlers. And I just I jumped up out of my chair. I took it over to my wife. My wife was a high school math teacher, and uh, she was teaching at her alma mater. And I showed her the ad. I said, look at this. And she just kind of rolled her eyes and went back to grading paper. And I said, I'm going. So I, I got a bag and, you know, got some shorts, T-shirts and shoes. And, and I drove over to Tampa to uh, the gym. 
And I walked in, and there was, you know, the great Malenko. And this guy was, he was the, one of the bad heels, you know, when I was growing up. And uh, so I got, he trained me, uh, got to got to work with his son, Dean. <clears throat> you might remember Dean Malenko, the man of a thousand holes. In WWE. Oh, yeah. I think he, I think he's running AEW now. And then uh, Jody uh, was his brother. And Jody was actually, I think he was better than Dean. Uh, but um, I I wrestled for, uh, I mean, I, I worked out for about six months training and then had my first match. And uh, that that's how it all started, man. I was 24 years old and in the best shape of my life and, and enjoying doing what I you know, watched on TV as a kid. It was like a dream come true. Do you remember who your first match was against? The first match was against the grappler. And Lyndon. I'm going to tell you who won, but it wasn't me. So, but it was, hmm. it was, it was cool, man. Uh, I was so nervous, you know, my first match. And, um, uh, I think I was sucking cotton after about two minutes because I was so, uh, hyped up and, uh, but anyway, you train and you learn, and uh, it ended up being a great match, and and I was just I was thrilled to death. With the great Malenko and the training and stuff, is that one of those things that like they always say they try to keep kayfabe? They almost don't even tell you, you know, that it's a work and things like that. They they keep everything tight to the vest. Yeah, you know when I got into when I when I started, I thought it was real. I didn't know it was a work. So I, you know, I found that out, and uh, you know, I protected the business. I still, you know, it still seems strange talking about it because, you know, kayfabe was very real. You know, when I was uh, in wrestling for the the whole ten years that I was there, you know, Vince McMahon's the one that changed everything when uh, with the WWF. He, he changed everything uh, when it became the WWE. So I never, I never thought I would ever see a day when, you know, uh, we can protect the business, but that day has come. When you're kind of going along and, and the great Malenko's training and stuff like that, is it hard training? Like he doesn't want you to make it or is he sees something in you and he's not as hard on you? Because you know that you hear some trainers like, oh, I'm going to break this guy. I'm going to make sure he doesn't make it in the business. How is he? No, he he was hard. Uh, he was hard, but nobody pulled for you more than him. I mean, he wanted you to do good. And he was just, he was, uh, you know, he was very 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 precise in the way he wanted you to do things and wanted you to do it right and um he he you know he he was very 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 tough but he was also very fair and uh he he wanted the best for you he he wasn't like some of those others that you know try to hurt you and you know he's my goodness, he trained uh, Mark Mero, you know, who was uh, Johnny B. Bad. Um, he was the WCW um, World Television Champ. He was a WWE uh, Intercontinental Champion, and um, and he's I can't name them all, but he's trained. You know, Malenko trained a lot of guys, and uh, there's there's a great Malenko alumni, and I'm I'm proud to be one of them. 
So what was your initial gimmick? Was you Were you just your name, or did you go under the saint, or how did you kind of start yeah. out? You know, uh, when I first started, uh, I wrestled under, you know, my own name. I wrestled as uh, Chris Samuels. I just came up with that name, and I wrestled as uh, Chris Hawkins. And then um, I got a call from a church uh, to be a youth pastor. And uh, I wasn't there very long, but uh, I became a youth pastor. And my wife uh, was pregnant with our first child, and she could not teach at that time. So we're just living on my income, and they don't pay youth pastors very much. And I went to the pastor, and I said, you know, I could uh, I could wrestle a couple of nights, really help us financially. Said. He said, absolutely not. You know, we're not going to turn this church into a circus and, and no way, you know. And I said, I said, okay. And then that next Saturday of watching wrestling on TV, I, and I saw a buddy of mine that worked under a hood or under a mask. And I said, that's it. That's it. I can do that, you know. So I, I came up with the gimmick of uh, the saint. Um, I ordered white boots, white trunks, white tights, you know, white mask from uh, K&H Wrestling. And um, I got that. My sister made me a cape. And uh, so I started working as the, the saint. And uh, it, it was kind of funny, you know, because I would I'd go to the church. I'd have a black eye or a broke nose or bruises or whatever. And they'd say, what in the world happened to you? And I said, you know, I fell down, which was very true. But I had a lot of help falling down. Hmm. And so I, the rest of the time that I was a youth pastor there, I was working, you know, also wrestling. And uh, like I said, I didn't stay there very long. And then uh, then I was just uh, wrestling until uh, 1988 after after I left that church. What did you think about working under the mask? You know, it was it was pretty cool. I I loved it. I, you know, at first it was it was a little strange. You know, the first time you get in there with a mask, but uh, I took to it very uh, very easily. And um, the last time I I wrestled was uh, 1993. I did a benefit uh, for a lady who was dying of cancer in my church, uh, trying to help her family out financially. I still had all these friends in the business, and, you know, we had a great show, and we had Doyle Funk Jr., had uh, Bugsy McGraw, had uh, uh, Ravishing Rick Rude, uh, The Warlord, uh, Kevin Sullivan. We had some great, great guys on that show, and uh, I had given my mask away to be sold in a silent auction. Uh, and the money was to be given to this family. So my last match, I worked without a mask, and it felt so strange working without a mask. And uh, my last match was against uh, Fidel Sierra, and uh, without a mask. So, but uh, the mask was good. It was, it was good to me. Was it hard to get used to at first? Like when you first put it on? Yeah, when you first, you know, first time you put it on. Yeah, it is a little strange, you know. Uh, but you get you get used to it, and you make some adjustments to the mask so that it makes it easier too. And and uh, fortunately, you know, my uh, my wife is a good seamstress, so 
she could uh, she could help with that. So I made some adjustments to it, and it was no problem after that. What was it like with some of the boys? Were they big partiers behind the scenes? Like, what was it like as far as when you were down in Florida, championship wrestling in Florida? Yeah, well, yeah, there was a lot, a lot of them. You know, it was it's kind of strange for me. Uh, and back in those days, they're really there weren't a lot of uh, Christians in the, in the business uh, today. My goodness, today you got, uh, you know, Ted DiBiase and uh, uh, I think Arn Anderson, uh, Sting, um, and also Lex Luger. I think they're all believers now. But in that day, there weren't a lot of believers, and there was a lot of partying. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't into that scene, man. I just... I was a family guy. I had a wife. Uh, my first child was born in 79. My second child was born in 82. And I just, I wanted to be a good husband and a good dad. And, and I didn't, I didn't care to do the partying, but there was a, you know, a lot of partying going on, uh, but I wasn't a part of it. Who were your like travel mates when you had to travel? Who'd you like ride the roads with? Um, you know, I, I I can't remember, you know, everybody. I, I do know that uh, a lot of times you'd know, take a van and you'd have two or three guys uh, going. I, I do remember my last, the last guy I traveled with was uh, Solomon Grundy in, in uh, Texas. And uh, Solomon Grundy, uh, he, he was 465 pounds. He's a great, great worker i mean for, for a guy that big i mean he could do drop kicks he could do bumps off the ropes i mean he was he was amazing and uh, uh he was just a crazy crazy guy so i got to i traveled with him and uh i had some had some great stories uh traveling with that guy but uh and then most of the other time i've just uh you know by myself so i didn't didn't really have a traveling partner what are some of those good stories? Are you able to tell them, or are they uh, permanently sealed? Say that again now. Your stories with Solomon Grundy, are they permanently sealed, or are you allowed to mention some of them? Oh, no, I can tell you. Yeah, oh. I, well, the funniest one, funniest one, we were uh, we were working in Jackson, Mississippi, at the War Memorial Coliseum, and uh, uh, we got there early. I don't know why we got there so early, but anyway, we got there early and, uh, uh, Grundy said, you know, he had to go to the bathroom and so he went, he went to the bathroom <laughs> and he didn't come out. So I, you know, I went in there. I said, Grundy, you okay? He said, Hey man, there ain't no bath, there ain't no, uh, toilet type paper in here. And, uh, so I went to, I went to the, all the stalls. There was no toilet paper. I went in the women's bathroom. There's no toilet paper. And the only people there were security at the time. And they didn't know where the toilet paper was. And, and uh, I guess, you know, they put it out, you know, before the matches started and stuff. But anyway, I went back in. I said, Grundy, there ain't no toilet paper, man. And there was a long pause. And I heard him shuffling around in his overalls. And finally he said, uh, have you got change for a 10? And uh, so he wiped his butt with, you know, ten one dollar bills. So that was the most expensive crap in history, probably. 
Damn. I guess you got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah. It was it was awesome though. That's a great story. Man, that's, that's uh, I don't know if I've ever heard of somebody doing that before. But hey, I guess you got to do something, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Grundy. Uh, Grundy was there in Texas uh, after I left, and then I think he went to uh, um, he went to, I think went to another territory, and then uh, he ended up his last twelve years in Mexico. He was like a unbelievable superstar in Mexico. Got to wrestle with uh, Vampiro and uh, uh, Rey Mysterio. I mean, he, he he worked with all the great great names there in Mexico so, but he's just super super guy with you in Florida who else did you kind of wrestle down there like who else was there at that point uh, <clears throat> excuse me um, my goodness who was there were all kinds of uh, of course uh, Bugsy McGraw um, uh, Steve Kern Mike Graham um uh, Trying to think of all the names. Buddy Colt was there, but uh, he got injured before uh, I actually got into the business. But uh, he was he was still in the business and still commentating and stuff like that. Um, but you know, all the all the big names came through Florida because it was such a great great territory. Of course, the Briscoes, Jack and Jerry Briscoe, um, and. You know, I could I could sit here and and, and have some dead airtime and think of some other names, but that was that was some of the biggest one. Of course, the biggest one was Dusty Rhodes. You know. Yeah, I was going to say, did you cross paths with Dusty when you were down there? Yeah, I, I crossed paths with him, but uh, you know, I was already headed to uh, Texas when those paths crossed. But but he. Uh, you know, he was just an icon of business, and we were living not too far apart uh, in in the Orlando area. Uh, he he lived in the Orlando area when he passed away, which was very sad. So, when you go to Texas, how does that happen? Like, does one of the like I guess Eddie Graham or whoever sends you there, or are you requested? No, no, no. How does it happen? Um, no, I to seminary uh, at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, and I didn't know anybody there. I called uh, Malenko and said, you know, you got any connections there? And uh, Malenko told me who to, who to talk to. And even after I got there, it, you know, it was, uh, it, it, was, it was tough getting in because it, was, it just – a lot of times in wrestling, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And uh, but I finally, you know, finally got my break and finally uh, got in there. So uh, I, w- I was working on my Masters of Divinity, and uh, so I was going to seminary in the daytime. And then uh, every opportunity I got to wrestle at night, I was I was doing that. So go to seminary in the daytime, wrestle at night. And Texas is a great wrestling state i mean in, in the territory day you had the you know the funks in west texas and the von erickson east texas and uh, putchkey in south texas so 
everybody everybody loves wrestling in Texas, and uh, it was just a great experience while I was there. So were you in world class first? Uh, actually, I actually got to work in uh, Wild West Wrestling. Ken Mantell was the one who um, was uh, that was his uh, that was his territory was the uh, Wild West Wrestling. He did their taping at Billy Bob's in the stockyards there in Fort Worth, and then they kind of combined with WCCW. And so uh, they were just kind of using the guys interchangeably. And uh, um, no, but nothing can compare to uh, Dallas and the Sportatorium when it was still there. What did you think about the Sportatorium? I mean, the legendary, legendary building. The crowd is great. Maybe aesthetically, maybe like when you really look at it, okay, they didn't have um, you know heat or they didn't have. Uh, uh, air conditioner, whatever you want to say about it, but what do you think about the sportatorium, legendary building? Yeah, it, it, you know, um, I had the opportunity when I was about 10 years old uh, traveling with my dad, and uh, he he had to go through Dallas, and he took me to wrestling there at the sportatorium when I was like 10 years old. Matter of fact, I saw uh, Fritz von Erich work that night when I was a 10-year-old kid. And uh, from the from the very first time that I went there, I, you know, I was just my mouth was open when I was sitting there watching. Uh, I, I watched a match with uh, Dusty Rhodes and uh, Dick Murdoch that night too. Uh, but nothing nothing can compare to the Sportatorium. Uh, it was just you know, an icon in the business, and um, it's just, a, you know, a real sad thing that it's not there today, but there was there was not a bigger place, I think, you know, besides Madison Square Gardens uh, than, than the Sportatorium in Dallas. What was your relationship like with Fritz? Um, you know, it was at that point uh, where... You know, I'm getting ready to to get out. I'm going to graduate, and I'm going to go to my first church. But also, uh, you know, WWF was just coming on like uh, like nobody ever thought. You know, when Vince signed the national contract, and and now, you know, you have wrestling that is national, not territory, but it's national. Nobody can compete with that. And so I don't know what Fritz was going through at that time, but uh, I, I can only imagine. And uh, so he had he had other things on his mind other than a you know a seminary student who was a wrestler uh, there in Fort Worth. Uh, but you know he was he was one of the one of the biggest names. The Von Erichs were such big names. I, I'll tell you how big big they were. Uh, I, I think they were right up there with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, there was a show. Joe Carey was supposed to be at this show, and he was running late. And he actually actually called the sheriff's department and told them what the situation was, and they gave him a police escort to the stadium. You know, wow. That, that that's what kind of weight they carried there. So uh, Devon Eric's just an unbelievable family, and. Um, uh, 
unbelievable tragedy that followed that family too. It just—it was so sad. Right before I went to Fort Worth, David died in Japan, and then uh, while I was there, uh, Mike Von Erich that uh, passed away, and then after I left, you know, Carrie uh, also, and then uh, Chris, their younger brother, and you know, now Kevin's the only one. I left, but his kids are doing great, from what I understand. But, uh, just, just an unbelievable family with unbelievable tragedy. It's insane, but I just saw Ross and Marshall doing very well uh, wrestling for NLW. Yeah. So, I mean, they yeah. live out in Hawaii, but they wrestle all over the yeah. state. Seem like they're doing really, really well. Kevin seems like he's doing pretty good, but man, that family had so much tragedy. It's nuts. Yeah, very sad. Very sad. So you were there from when to when? Like, I guess you were there for when David passed away, all the way, you said, until when Mike passed away? Yeah, 1985 to 1988. No, but David passed away before I got there. Oh, yeah, I think it was 84. Uh, but, but, yep. Yeah, but uh, Mike passed away while while I was there, yeah. When all that's going on, I mean, they were at the height. I mean, they were so popular. Did you see it kind of declining as far as just everything going downhill for world class as, as these tragedies kept piling up? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think the WWF had more to do with that decline than anything than, than the tragedy in the family. But, uh, yeah, the Von Erichs were still, even after, you know, events started, Going national, the Von Erichs were still, you know, icons in the business, and so they never they never went down. But uh, you know, the with with the tragedy that 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 family experienced, it was just um, uh, I, I don't I can't put it into words of what it what it did, but uh, you know. The, they never. I, I can just say this: they they never went down, but the, you know, the business started going down. With all that tragedy and all that stuff uh, going on, was it hard for everyone to kind of concentrate? You know what I mean? It, it, you got so much going on around you. I know it's a business, and you're trying to make money, but I mean, oof, I mean, it's it just it gets crazy. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> you know, I think everybody's looking out for their own you know, their own backsides too, because, um, you know, once, once then took, Vince took it national, then all the, the big names start gravitating to the WWF, you know, uh, uh, the ultimate warrior, he, he was there and, and you know, he's, uh, he's gone. Uh, the, the guy, uh, uh, Mark, uh, Callaway, who became the Undertaker, you know, he 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 wasn't there long at all until he, you know, gravitated to WCW and then ultimately Vince making him into the uh, Undertaker, and then you know all the other other big names, you know, Kerry himself ended up in the WWF too. So um, it's amazing thing whenever you you look and you see all the talent that was there at one time 
And, uh, I mean, I got, got to work against the Freebirds, you know, uh, Bruiser Brody. Uh, it was just, you know, unbelievable amount of talent there. And uh, so uh, they're looking out for their backsides, too, and I know they're they're wanting to make the, the, the money that they were making in WWF, so I really can't blame them for wanting to, you know, go where the money was. What was The Undertaker like? You know, I wrestled him when I think he was like 23 years old. Uh, and he had, he had a flat top. He looked like Howdy Doody in the face. But, you know, the guy's six foot eight and weighed 315 pounds. Uh, but just a great, great young man. And um, that that was the one of the highlights of my uh, wrestling career was working against the guy that became The Undertaker. I know it's like impossible to say, but did you see like money in him? Like, did you say, wow, this guy's going to be a star or almost like too impossible to tell? Oh yeah. I, uh, matter of fact, there's a chapter in my book, uh, entitled the undertaker. And that was a night that I, I worked again. I wasn't supposed to work against him. I'd already worked a match and it was a, it was a Friday night. And whenever I worked on Friday night, I would take my girls with me. Uh, and then after I worked, we would go out and do what we call, for, you know, Friday night fun night with our family. So on this particular night, um, I worked my match and went back to the dressing room. I'm taking my boots off, and the promoter came in and said that uh, the guy that was supposed to work against Mark uh, wasn't going to make it, and he needed somebody to work twice. And so I raised my hand. I said, I'll do it. And the reason I did it, because I said, this kid's going to be a star, man. He's going to be the big one. And, uh, and I was right about that. So um, it, was, it was it was just a real thrill to get in the ring with him and to work with him. What kind of led you to think that? Like just based on his look, his ability, the way he handled himself, what made you kind of think that? Um, you know, he had just a, a great build. I mean, and there were – they weren't a lot of guys, you know, his size uh, in, in the business at that time. And to uh, to have that, you know, that height, that weight, and just to be able to do the moves that he could do, you know, it was just, I hadn't seen very many, you know, very many people his size uh, that worked that, that well. So I just, I just knew he was going to be a star, and and man, was he a star! Good gracious! I think he. How many uh, WrestleManias did he work? Oh my god! How many? I but feel, he's worked a bunch of them. I feel like it might be around twenty-eight of them. It was it was a, it was a lot, a crazy amount. Wow! Uh, yeah, for him, maybe yeah. Uh, maybe twenty-six, twenty-six, twenty. But it was a lot. It was a ton of uh, yeah. WrestleManias. And yeah. mostly going over too, mostly winning. Only lost a couple. Yeah, yeah. Was he a nice guy behind the scenes, quiet guy, humble guy at this point? Because he's pretty new, pretty young. And I guess he was yeah, under. The, he was, was he Texas Red under the hood at this point? Yeah, yeah. No, no, he wasn't working in a hood. But uh, I, I can't even think of the name that they called him at that time. But uh, I think Mean Mark or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, but he no, he was a great, great person to uh, behind the behind the scenes. Yeah, just a 
really, really nice kid. What about the warrior, the dingo warrior, okay, the ultimate warrior? What was he like at that point? Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but, uh, you know, he, he was, he was very stiff when I worked against him. And, um, I still, uh, still remember that night, you know, uh, some of the punches that he threw, uh, I think woke my kinfolks up in China. It was, they were pretty <laughs> stiff. Uh, but anyway, you know, when, uh, when you're far like him, I guess you can, I, I didn't, I didn't work with too many people that, you know, that treated people, you know, badly in the ring. Uh, and he, he didn't really treat you bad, but he was just, you know, just very stiff. What about Kerry Von Eric? I never worked with Kerry. I worked on a show with him, but I didn't work against him. But, uh, Everything that I heard, you know, all the Von Erichs were great to work with. Man, that territory, like you said, there's so many great guys that came through it. So much talent. They had everything. Obviously, then the tragedies kind of slowly kill it off. But I guess you were out of there right, right before the, you know, the big move with the USWA yeah, and the right. AWA. So you basically had yeah. just left and, you know, they're headed down that roller coaster, or whatever. They're headed down that hill, but you yeah. were out of there in time. Yep. I left, uh, in May of, uh, May of 1988. Yeah. So I was already headed back to Florida at that time. Now, where did you, end up wrestling after that or was it kind of just off and on maybe some independence did you wrestle a lot after 1988 oh no no i i probably wrestled four or five times and they were all benefits uh just to help people uh, i mean i still had you know friends in the business and uh it was, it was a different you know different thing uh being the promoter and the booker for those things and putting them together uh, but they were all great experiences, and, and it, you know, it gave me that uh, opportunity to, you know, to work again. I, I never got it out of my system. Even after I became a pastor, I still still love wrestling, and uh, so you know, I, I wrestled about three or four times, maybe four or five times, in, in benefits and things like that. But uh, 1993 was the last last time that I got in the ring. What made you retire? Uh, becoming a pastor. But there was no like, hey, I could still wrestle and do that, or like, yeah, I really need to yeah. focus on being a pastor, and and that's it. Yeah, it's you know, being a pastor. It, I I usually worked about sixty hours a week. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, it it just uh, you know when you. You have a, a congregation, you, and you you know you got to speak uh, three times a week. Uh, so you know that's a lot of preparation, and then you have to you have to do uh, hospital visits and home visits, and and then you know if you have funerals, you have to do funerals, you have to do weddings, and uh, and then counseling. Uh, there's just there's no way, you know, no way you could do that, and. Uh, so I, I was doing what God called me to do. You know, the 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 greatest 
the greatest thing that'll come out of my life is is the lives that I influenced uh, that you know come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and and His forgiveness. Uh, you know, I'm very thankful for all that I got to do in wrestling, but uh, what God has called me to do, uh, nothing can compare with that. And uh, so my my life has been dedicated to. Uh, uh, to his work uh, since I got out and will continue to be there. But, you know, he's blessed me and he's given me opportunities to, to still, uh, you know, I, I still get to see the guys. I still get to do things. I, you know, I go to Russell cons. I, I was at Russell con in Jacksonville about five weeks ago. And it was, it was awesome, you know, to be, my table was right next to Sergeant Slaughter uh, Jerry Lawler was right across from me. Um, Kevin Sullivan was to the right of me. Uh, in the back, there was uh, Mick Foley and the Steiner brothers and uh, Lex Luger and uh, Brutus Beefcake. And, oh, my goodness, uh, there were just so many guys there. And so I still get to do that. And, um, you know, I still get to go and uh speak after they show the movie so uh even though you know i I, i'm a pastor i still still get to enjoy uh some of the wrestling life uh after the fact do you still watch current wrestling i i do not i have not watched it uh you know i had a good friend blackjack mulligan uh, who was, uh, you know, Barry Wyndham's dad, Kendall Wyndham's dad, Mike Rotundo's uh, father-in-law. And uh, Jack was in the hospital, and uh, I, I went to visit him. And there were a couple of big guys in there, and, and Jack said, uh, these are my grandboys. He said, they work for Vince. And I said, really? And there's Bo, Bo Dallas and Bray Wyatt and... Um, so the the next Monday night, uh, I turned it on just to see uh, Black Jack Mulligan's grandkids work, and uh, that was the last time I watched it. You knew AEW? Pardon? You knew AEW and kind of, right, a little bit? It sounded like you knew a little bit about AEW. Uh, just just from what I, I've read. You know, I you know I read that uh, Dean was uh, involved with them, and you know you see see things on Facebook, uh, but I <clears throat> I haven't watched it. I haven't watched it, so I don't know who's there and who who's not. That is pretty cool though. You did the uh, the convention scene, you did the autograph signing down in Jacksonville. Uh, obviously, a lot of legends were there. That's pretty cool though. You still do the the signings and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just thankful when they still know me. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Now, as we hit the wind down, head towards the finish here. Just was curious. I know you mentioned Undertaker and 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 against Fidel Cieri, the last match. Do you have some favorite matches and some favorite opponents besides those guys that you kind of look back on fondly? Uh, yeah. Well, all of them, all of them. Um, you know, I had the. 
had the opportunity to work against uh, flamboyant Eric Embry. He was the uh, you know the world junior heavyweight champion. Um, had the opportunity to work against uh, Iceman King Parsons. He was the first black world heavyweight champion. Um, you know, of course, working against the Undertaker and then uh, working against the Freebirds. That was you know great. Buddy Jack Roberts. He was just you know, real class act, uh, working against, uh, Bruce or Brody. Uh, they're just, you know, all, I, I really can't pick a favorite. They were all favorites. When you filmed the Max Saint and, and did some of the behind the scenes, did you get back in the ring at all and, and just try to like, uh, you know, test it out a little bit? I did. I did. Matter of fact, if, uh, um, if you look at the uh, DVD, As a matter of fact, I think it's on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and you look at uh, the Mass Saint, um, I think you can see you can see uh, see me in the ring, and and that was really neat. They took the first day of filming for the wrestling scenes. Uh, it, it was in a big hockey arena in Sault Ste. Marie, Canada. <clears throat> when I got there. At 6:30 in the morning, they dropped me off, and I, I walked into that building, and I looked, and there was the ring, and my heart started beating, and and then I saw, uh, you know, the wrestlers that were going to be in the movie. Uh, they used some talent from uh, Canada, and so I, I, I went down there, this kid lacing his boots up, and I said, "Hey, how about getting in the ring with me?" And I had jeans and boots on, and uh, so. He said, uh, you know, get out of here. You're an old man. I'm not going to get in a ring with you. And I said, hey, get in a ring with me. Come on. And he finally uh, got in and, um, I, you know, asked him to take me down, do take downs. And, and, and then he wasn't doing it good enough. So I did an arm drag on him and snatched him down. And he, he got up. He said, who the heck are you? And I said, I, you know, I wrote the book, man. This is my movie. So, then he he didn't mind working with me some after that. So we, but uh, I think that's on YouTube. You can see it. And uh, had my first body slam in 25 years. That was that was kind of neat too. When you kind of look back at everything as far as just wrestling is concerned, any regrets? Anything you left behind in the business that you wish you maybe could have changed? I I wished I'd had a a, a greater influence uh in the lives of some of the guys that you know god allowed me to be in their life for a while that you know i, I wish i just wish that i had uh, had more of a uh, a christian influence and able to lead some of those guys to the lord and uh, you know I was able to with a couple of them there was a, a great black wrestler by the name of tom jones uh, matter of fact, Tom, he was such a class act, and uh, he actually ran the gym there in the stockyards. And uh, so I, I got to spend some quality time with him and, and his wife and his little boy. Um, and with uh, Solomon Grundy, I, I think I was able to, you know, be a, a good influence in his life. But I just wish wish I had a greater influence for the cause of Christ. Uh, so I, I guess that's my, my biggest regret. 
As far as you, when you look back at your career, the movie, the book, the wrestling career, you as a pastor, what's like the legacy? What's the stamp of you in, in your life and your career? Um, you know, the, the message that I give whenever I have the opportunity to show the movie and I speak, um, it, it is this, that, you know, we serve the, the God of a second chance. Um, you know, I, I messed up so much in my life, but God, you know, gave me a second chance, uh, and a third chance and a, and a fourth chance. And, uh, there, there's a, a great passage of scripture in, uh, the book of Jeremiah chapter 18 verses one through six, where he told the prophet Jeremiah to go to the potter and he would teach him a great lesson. And when uh, the prophet went there, he saw the potter working with the clay and he was making just a, just a normal vessel. And when he got through, it had, it had flaws in it and he squished it back together again and put it back on the wheel. And he made that same piece of clay that was full of flaws. He made it into a new vessel. And then he said, cannot I do the same with you as the potter is done with the clay or if the clay is in the hand of the potter. So are you in my hand? And, and that's the story of my life. You know, when, when I, when I came to God, I had so many flaws in, in my life and it was just filled with flaws and, and God put me back on the wheel and he made me into a new vessel. And, um, so the, the greatest thing that I can share with people who are listening to me right now is that no matter what you've done in your life, you know, God is a forgiving God and uh, he can take you with all of your flaws and make you into a new vessel, make you into a, a worthwhile, useful vessel if you'll, if you'll let him do that. And uh, so that, that's what I'd like to leave people with is that. Right. Awesome. As far as like plugs and, and where everybody can find you and, and find, you know, if, if you wanted to, obviously, your social media and, and anything like that, if you wanted to put any of that kind of stuff out there. Uh, absolutely. You can go to uh, uh, my uh, Facebook site is uh, Chris Whaley. Uh, I think I got 5,000 friends, but, you know, a lot of times you, you have people that friend you for various things so sometimes they can you know they can get on there and friend me if they'd like to um, go to my website which is uh, themassaint.com and you can see uh, the trailer for the movie and if you want to order an autograph book or autograph uh, DVD whatever you can do that online and um, you know I actually I think the book's better than the movie so Oh wow! Uh, the book is close. The book is closer to uh, reality than the movie. Uh, they changed some things for the movie, but uh, the book has it, you know, pretty clear. So, um, but those two things, the Facebook and um, and also the the uh, website, would be the best thing for them. All right. And thank you for letting. Thank you for letting me do that, John. I really appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, no problem at all, of course. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for all the time tonight. Really appreciate it. It's been uh, quite an honor. Thank you so much. Hey, man, it's my honor uh, to be with you. I, uh, I I think you have a great show. You've, you've 
certainly had a lot bigger names than me on there. And um, I, I hope you keep it up and keep uh, promoting the business. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies.